Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. With Benelin on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, as it is January 1st today, Happy New Year to you all. A day of the year when often we can feel exhausted from all the running around, the eating, the drinking, the socialising, or maybe Christmas didn't work out that way for you and you're quite happy to see the back of it. Maybe it was all too much. Personally, I love the turn of a new year. New Year's Eve doesn't really do it for me. It can be nice, but I always feel slightly awkward as the clock strikes midnight. Anyway, I like the energy of a new year, but I hate the pressure people put on themselves to make massive changes. Don't get me wrong, change is great, but when it comes from a place of self-loathing, I just don't like that for people. New year, new you, drop a dress size in just three weeks, all that drives me absolutely crazy and I just don't think there's any need for it. We are all amazing just as we are, but perhaps there might be hopes and dreams for the years ahead, things that aren't serving you anymore. So I wanted to have a show that was filled with guests that will start the new year with positive vibes. So clinical hypnotherapist and best-selling author of The Positive Habit, Fiona Brennan, will be talking about why we should set intentions and not resolutions. Olivia Kenna will be talking through what grey area drinking is. If you've ever wanted to dial down your drinking or wonder what life would be like with less, it's well worth listening to Olivia's experience. And Festival Manaw is taking place in Duna Sea in Westmeath next Saturday the 7th. It's a wellness experience with yoga, breathworks, talks, music and so much more. They are aiming to bring together the biggest women's circle in history on the day with all proceeds going to charity So Sad. I'll meet two of its organisers, Lorraine Hogan and Siobhan Murray. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, as I said, many people might be starting the new year full of intentions to turn everything upside down. But joining me in studio now is clinical hypnotherapist and best-selling author Fiona Brennan, who wants to put a more positive glaze over it all. Fiona, you're very welcome. Oh, thank you, Claire. Lovely to be here as always. So what I'm working on with myself, with my clients, is the idea of having an overarching intention. And that is where you actually ask yourself five questions And with those five questions, you start to get really clear on what it is that you want for yourself for the coming year. And from that intention, from that overarching intention, you then start to actually get more specific in terms of what does that really look like? Because when you hear it, and I can talk you through it now, when you hear it, it can sound a little bit airy fairy and a little bit, you know, Pollyanna. But when you actually start to really uh, implement it on a practical level, you see just how powerful intention is. And I am such an advocate of setting intentions before you do anything. Before I come into the studio here today, I need to be clear on what it is that I'm here for. Otherwise, it can just go, you know, it can run away with you. So I think that when we when we live intentionally, consciously, it really does shift everything, you know, how powerful it is from the big to the small things in in our life. So what are the questions you ask yourself? Okay, so here we go. There's five questions, as I said. So the first thing is, how do you want to feel when you wake up in the morning? 
Okay, so you're starting to get an idea that this is really more about feelings and energy as opposed to specific at the moment. So number two, what kind of energy do you want to have as you go through your day? Okay, number three, how do you want to feel as you drift to sleep? Number four, how do you want to make other people feel when they are in your company? And number five, how can you serve others to the best of your ability? So those five questions start to really help you get an idea of what is 2023 going to look like. So if you like, I can share what I've written myself and then I'll show you how you can actually start to make that more practical. Yeah, because it's going to be different for everyone, isn't it? If somebody has something big going on, like a job that's not going well or a family issue. Yes. They might be mulling over that going to sleep at night. So that might mean they have to turn their attention to either one of those two things in their life. Exactly. It's different for everybody. It's different for everybody, but I suppose this is really more of an internal process. So it's less about what's going on externally and how you actually want to manage those situations. So what is the intention behind how you're going to deal with, for example, the difficult situation at work? You know, so so you set your energy and then that is actually the the catalyst for what helps you to implement the change intentionally. Mm, so that share yours because okay. I, I, I want to see how deep to be going. Okay, our answers. this is deep, Claire. Um, so the first thing that I said for myself is it is my intention to be positive. Surprise, surprise. Energetic, calm and courageous to help people sleep peacefully, release anxiety and feel powerful and to believe in their own worth. I will care for myself so that I can care for others. Okay, so when I have that, right, so that's the overarching idea of of 2023 for me. So anything that I want to do has to go back to that, if you like. So it becomes this reference point for you. So I would suggest the listeners then to, to actually look at three specific personal goals that they want to achieve in 2023, and then three maybe professional And when you go back to your overarching intention, what you've got to be clear of is, do they align? Okay, is there a a, a sort of a sense of connection back to what it is that you really, truly want for yourself and not what other people want for you or you think that you should do? So, for example, with that, it could be, let's say somebody wants to I don't know, have a uh, start an exercise program or to have a plant based diet or, you know, to make a change in their lifestyle. Well, then you've got to look at what is the motivation behind that, right? What is the intention and is it actually going to really help you um, to create the kind of energy that you want? And what you'll find is that, yes, generally there's going to be a a good alignment there. Um, So, for example, for myself, with my own intentions, like I have a really booked out clinic. I can't see, I can't possibly see any more one-to-one clients. So I have to set, like for example, a professional intention would be to um, to do more group work, for example, right? So I can be really specific on that. And then that guides me forward. Um, and it's always about being true to what it is that is going to, in a sense, make the world a, a better place? What What is the motivation that goes beyond yourself? How does it actually really help um, the world be a better, better place? So just consider how important that is for politicians or educators or anybody who's in a place of authority and power to say, okay, 
I really need to know what is my intention and to bring it up from the subconscious into the conscious mind. Otherwise, we can say, you know, when you hear somebody say, oh, I didn't intend that at all, right? And well, that can be true. But if you weren't clear on your intention, maybe that's why it's it's got mis- mixed up somewhere along the way, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, oh no, it does. I, I came a <laughs> cropper of something with that, with a friendship um, yeah. recently where I said more than I should have and I was intending something completely different. But I didn't take the time before I made that phone call to really think, why am I making this phone call? That's it, Claire. What am I going to say? Yes. What's the outcome I want? What are some of the possible outcomes? Yes. And really make a decision. I kind of saw a text, had a snap thing, said I'm going to make that phone call. And my intention was very good. Yes. But it got it skewed because I yeah. didn't give it the time. So that's just one small that's example. That's a very good example. And uh, Oprah Winfrey says, Winfrey says that she will never do anything, anything without setting an intention before she does it. So whatever that is, a phone call, a coffee, um, certainly something important, a meeting, work, always be clear in your own mind. What is it that I, you know, what what is, why am I here? And then that just really lifts you up and it lifts everybody up who's around you because you're now um, contributing intentionally. A, a life lived with intention, I think, is is really, really important. And doing that now at the start of the year and then coming back to it, you know, it's all about like a lot of my work is so based on habit and being accountable to yourself. So if you have, for example, that intention, you need to to keep coming back. It's it's all very well to write it down in a lovely journal and then never look at it, but you need to bring it into your life. So how do you do that? Well, for example, really practical thing is you can pull some of the words out that you that you find motivating. For example, for me, it could be courageous, uh, positive. Put them somewhere that you can see them. A screensaver on your phone, little post-it notes on your you know uh, laptop, um, and just start to really bring it back to each and every day and and setting that intention. Um, something I do is is every day I'll write down what it is, you know, how I want to be in the world and what I want to, to do in particular. And life is busy. So we do tend to go on autopilot a lot and be sort of sleepwalking through our lives, just yeah. kind of getting through it, especially with the way the working week is set up. Everyone's just waiting for, for, for Friday again and you can't believe it's another Friday. And, you know, that's how life can go. Yeah. But I suppose by taking that time and setting that intention, you're being more mindful, you're being more present because when we're sleepwalking, we're denying ourselves those little pockets of joy and really saying, yes. well, that was a very successful phone call or that was a very successful meeting or yeah. I said I wanted to achieve that in my personal life and I have. We're not noticing. To acknowledge it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very, very important and it actually allows you then to continue. You know, if you don't acknowledge it in the first place, it's unlikely that you're going to repeat it. You know, it's the same for anyone. If you have a child and they're they're learning something new and you don't recognise that they've made progress, it's unlikely they're going to be motivated to, to, you know, keep going with it. And the same is true for ourselves, the relationship we have with ourselves and that internal reward system where you do stop, as you say, Claire, and say, yeah, well done. Like, you know, you, you handled that really well. And maybe you didn't handle it really well, but it's still an opportunity. It's always an opportunity to learn and say, well, how clear was I before that? I wasn't really clear. I, like, you know, I was rushing, I was tired and nothing is perfect, but it's just such a simple thing to do 
and it really doesn't take very long at all. I think Oprah, back to Oprah, but she she said that, you know, she would be in the lift. There was a lift that she'd have to go up in her studio um, when she was doing the Oprah show. And it was just like maybe two minutes or less in that lift. And in that lift was where she set her intention for the show. So when we start to um, connect places with our intention, like in my office, for example, there's a mirror um, as I go in the hall. And every morning, I'll just make a little connection with myself. I'll look in my own eyes and I'll say, it is my intention. I'll know who's coming into my clinic. I'll know what, you know, I have the head of the day. And I'll just make that that moment. So you start to connect places with intention as well, so that it, it becomes more automatic automatic, um, not, uh, you know, unconsciously forgotten about, if you like. And with your two books, The Positive Habit yeah. and The Self-Love Habit, yeah. you're, you're trying to reset some of the negative habits that we have going around in our head. And I think today being January 1st, a lot of people will have that because it has been busy for many people. It has been social. Yes. There has been a lot of eating, drinking. People are tired. They start to say, right, that's it and and really beat themselves up. And I, I just hate that energy at the start of a new year for somebody. Totally. I hate it coming from this self-loathing and that they're going to yes, start. exactly. And no wonder three weeks later, you know, they're it's back all, yeah. allowing themselves to eat a decent meal again. Yes, so yes, yeah. I think it's really important, the message that you, you put out there. We should be building in something a bit more full of self-love and, and positivity. Yes, exactly. And it's also that the idea is it isn't about, um, you know, using just willpower because willpower is for short term challenges that we have to get through, like delaying gratification in some way. Whereas if you really want to make a difference in your life, if you want to change a habit, lifestyle, emotional, behavioural, any kind of habit, it needs to be uh, moved on a subconscious level. Otherwise, you're going to keep on hitting walls. Um, so I think that's where intention is very powerful because it's through repetition, you know. So when you keep coming back to something, it is now becoming something that is is brought up, if you like, from the subconscious into the conscious mind. Um, and most people rely on willpower and that is not what it's for. You know, it's it's really is much more, as I say, it's a part of the prefrontal cortex of the brain, short term uh, survival based sort of um, mechanism, but not something for long term shifts. Um, and I think, again, that is why so many people do beat themselves up. And it's like absolutely clear. It's really unfortunate to see because if you're beating yourself up about something that you didn't achieve or succeed at, um, and I'm doing quotation marks here because you, you can't see me, um, that would then just lead to more of the unwanted behaviour, you know, that you start to then self-sabotage because the negative self-talk is going to be something that you want to, to get away from. And that could be that you use food or TV or whatever it is that you're trying to actually pull back on. And it is tough for people at the at the minute. You know, there's the cost of living crisis we're hearing constantly, the climate change crisis, the housing crisis, it's just crisis everywhere. So people can, I, I think, feel very disempowered that there can be positive change in their lives. But is this for everybody? If somebody is really struggling to put food on the table, mm. do they still need to sit down and set their intention for the year ahead? Or is it, you know, kind of oh, survival mode for them? No, I think that it's it's probably even more pertinent, to be honest with you. I think this this is across the board. This goes for every single person in the world to, to have some form of intention of what they can do, because it's really important. What it does is empowers you to feel stronger. 
um, rather than feeling completely lost. And that doesn't take away from the reality of the situation, but it certainly helps you to manage it. Because when we're, we're going from a place of positivity, when the brain is in that more positive frame uh, work, it is much more likely to come up with solutions. It's much more likely to see opportunities. It's when we're in that tight, narrow um, negativity bias that we can't see. So, for example, you could be struggling um, financially and then because you're, you've got this really positive, wonderful intention, you're more likely to maybe see an opportunity for a job that you might not have noticed or feel more confident to go for something that you would have held back on. So really, it's it's just how powerful it is to, to shift your internal landscape and then your external does start to slowly become like it, it kind of mirrors it uh, with time. And that's not wishful thinking. Of course, it's it's about being proactive. It's about being, uh, taking, you know, actionable steps. But your mindset and your confidence and your how you feel about yourself, your your worth, your own worth. Um, and when we're struggling financially, that can be really low. Like I've been there myself and your, your confidence can be on the ground. You know, you can feel like, well, I can't do that because, you know, um, it, it can take a lot out of you. So that's why we really need to offset it with this work. I mean, it's it's really important. And it's a real tool for us to handle our stress management, isn't it? And manage yeah. all the emotions that come with the difficulties that life throws at us. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because you have you have something to hold on to, you know, regardless of, of what happens, what what challenges there are. You have a, a an intention in your own self that nobody can ever take from you, you know. Yeah, your light that you're so <laughs> fond of talking about. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would just urge people, you know, all the usual ones come up around this time, um, you know, giving up things, mm. habits that aren't serving you. And I'm not suggesting people don't do that if that's what their intuition is telling them, but lose weight, get fit. You know, I would say lean into, you know, stress management and, and nourishing yourself, however that looks for you. And I just think it even sounds more positive. In 2023, I'm going to nourish myself more. Yes. That's certainly what I'm going to do. Yeah. You have a very exciting year ahead. You are launching therapy on the couch. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, this is back to my intention, Claire, and that is to to help more people. And as I said, my clinic is completely booked. So I'll be doing weekly uh, sessions, live sessions online that is affordable, uh, accessible and really to help as many people as I can. Um, it's based on an Instagram live that I did for 18 months called Therapy on the Couch that I just love doing and I want to continue it in, in a more sort of formal way, if you like. And also I have my retreat in Crete coming up uh, in June, May, June of this year. And that is, again, something that it can be is incredibly transformative for for the people who come. It's seven days and seven nights of really nourishing, really nourishing yourself in a very supportive and non-judgmental um, atmosphere. And the sunshine is there. And the sunshine is there. That that definitely helps, Claire. Where can people find out more? Um, the best places to find me are on Instagram, The Positive Habit, and also my website, The Positive Habit. So it's all very easy to remember and uh, would love to see you there. And because, as you say, your clinic is absolutely booked and we hear so much about mental health and people and wait lists and everything. Do you feel positive about what's happening? Do you feel we're having a sort of a an increase in consciousness that more people are interested in doing the work. Do you think there's a positive in the number of people that are queuing as opposed to a, a negative? 
Yeah, I suppose ultimately it is. It is. It, to be honest, it can feel a bit of pressure personally because it can feel like I would love to help all those people, but I physically can't. Um, but on the greater scheme of things, absolutely. You know, it shows that I think there's been a real shift. I would say even in the last sort of two to three years where this whole world of health and wellness and positive mental health is something that people are really engaging with in a, in a much deeper level. They're, they're doing the work. They're realising that it isn't um, something that just happens, but that it is a process that you devote yourself to. Um, I mean, I see it as, as a lifelong journey, Claire, like I really do. And I, I know that you do as well. Um, and, you know, you reap the rewards. It's 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 so worthwhile. Um, so ultimately, it is a positive, but we need that's why these kind of uh, projects are very helpful, because we need to be creative. We need to be inventive, especially, as you say, with the cost of living crisis. We need to find ways that actually really connect to people in a way that that is affordable and um and and beneficial above all. And I think community, I think, is a really strong way of doing that, that we lift each other up. And when you know that you're not alone, you know, when you hear other people say, for example, yeah, that, that really resonates with me or I thought I was the only one who felt like that and you see that you're not, well, then that's that's very, very healing. Um, so it becomes like as much as there's a leader in a group, but there's the group itself is what um, is so transformative. Well, thank you for doing everything <laughs> that you do. Um, and I wish you a fantastic 2023 and may our paths cross many, many times. Absolutely. For more, as Fiona said, you can go to thepositivehabit.com. Fiona Brennan, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Claire. Happy New Year. Coming up after the break, Olivia Kenna on grey area drinking. Alive and kicking on Newstalk. Alive and kicking on Newstalk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, I hope you'll approach this next interview with a mere curiosity. If you are listening to it as we broadcast today, New Year's Day, um, you might be like, God, why would you send out an interview about not drinking anymore on one of the biggest hangover days of the year? But alcohol isn't a problem for many and I'm not suggesting that it is or that everybody should give it up. I never actually suggest you do anything on this show other than listen to each person's experience, take what you need and leave the rest. But I must say, I personally am curious about life with less alcohol in the new year. I'd like to even experiment myself, go drink free for a few months and see how I feel. Is there more energy? Is there more productivity? Do I feel better? So I'm very interested to hear the story of my next guest, Olivia Kenna. She had the normal rites of passage for drinking in Ireland, starting as a teenager and continuing on her travels around the world and at various social events in her life. There were never any issues until there were. And Olivia joins me in studio now. Olivia, you're very welcome. Thank you, Claire. I'm thrilled to be here. So this is quite a different conversation from somebody coming in talking about alcoholism and getting sober. Yeah. The way I I set your drinking up, it's in inverted commas, normal drinking. Absolutely. So I drank like absolutely everybody I know. There's nobody I know who didn't drink any differently to me. Um, I maybe was a little bit more enthusiastic about it. Um, So I would, when they knew when to stop, I didn't. But like I was no different to anybody around me. You know, I was functioning really well. Um, I definitely wasn't addicted to alcohol. I don't think I had any um, physical addictions to it. Like I could stop and start. So like if I um, 
was going to give it up. I could give it up. I could go out and not drink. I could drive. But once I had one drink, that's when kind of the floodgates opened and one would become two. So I always had the feeling like I loved the feeling of three drinks, but there was something in my mind that never said, you know what, stop at three drinks. Three is good, but six is better. That's the way I kind of looked at it or how I felt about it. So yeah, no, I was completely the same as everybody else. It wasn't really impacting on my life. Until probably my 30s, as I got older, I now understand that there's lots of physiological changes as you get older and you produce less antioxidants and stuff like that. So the effects, the ill effects of alcohol are much worse. So it came kind of came to a head when my hangovers became so horrifically unbearable that like it just it had to end. So like I would I could like wake up early in the morning and literally the minute I opened my eyes nothing but dread and wishing the entire day away so I could get to bed and sleep off the hangover at the end of the day and like I could like I could be getting sick for I literally got sick one day for 12 hours and now that I've been off booze for like five years I look back and at how sick I was like I should have been in the hospital a lot of those times because the level of sickness that it made me it just like I suppose it agreed with me to a certain point and then it just became unmanageable at at a certain kind of in my mid 30s early to mid 30s it became really unmanageable but as you said everything was functioning well yeah. you're happily married yeah. two young kids who were yeah. obviously a lot younger 5 years ago yeah. a job you loved yeah great friendship circle. So there's so many people kind of cruising along like this and we ring each other and we go, oh Jesus, I was sick all day and I have the fear. Like that's just discussed as being quite normal, quite an average Sunday. Absolutely. And like everybody does it. And I think maybe it... That's the part I loved, actually, when, you know, the hangovers and the connection with the friends and all those discussions. Oh, what did we do? And all those kind of stuff. But it's so normal. It's funny because what's not normal now is to be the person who actually doesn't drink. So the no- it's become so normal in the last probably 50 years that everybody... Uh, everybody drinks and that it's normal to feel in bits on a Sunday and to not be at your best and to like kind of waste the day away or whatever. So, yeah, no, it's just it's really, really normal. But your message now is not of judgment to other people. If people spend their Sundays like that, that's absolutely fine. But it became a kind of a whisper to you. It was very much your intuition that alcohol needed to go. You ignored it for a while until you just couldn't any longer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I have no judgment for anybody. Like alcohol played a really big part in my life. I had social anxiety as a teenager. It completely broke me out of that. I've I've made amazing friends. Like I've had a really good... I've had a really good experience with it for a long time and it was great when it was great and then when it became horrific it was like right we we cannot me me and alcohol cannot coexist so my intuition I, I love a bit of Oprah who doesn't um, so Oprah has a saying and I was listening to all this your life is always trying to talk to you first it's a pebble then it's another pebble now I've paraphrased this so I say it's like a pebble a pebble a brick so I literally was getting pebbles thrown at me all the time like I just with the blacking out with the vomiting with the really really negative the guilt the shame the the loss of motivation, the lack of energy, all those things that I knew weren't me. So then finally, there was a series of events that literally it, it, it was the brick in the face that I needed. And I couldn't, I like I handed a drink to my husband in Spain and I just said, right, we're done. This is it. This is the last drink I'll ever drink. You didn't even drink it. You didn't 
drain the glass and hand it no, to him? No, it was a half full glass. Yeah, and he and then I was like, take a picture of me so we can see it. And yeah. what what were some of those events? What was kind of rock bottom? Or would oh, you describe it that way? It, it kind of wasn't rock bottom. I, You know, you don't have to reach rock bottom to give up alcohol. You really don't. Like there's this myth out there that you have to, like you have to be end stage substance use disorder. You don't. If you, if you have an inner knowing that it's just not suiting you, that you're not living your best life, that absolutely it might be time. It, it's the, the phrase is sober curious. If you feel you're sober curious, there's just great, um, like there's great sober curious Instagram accounts. There's millions of podcasts. There's lots of places you can go to kind of have a look at it. But back to, um, so there was a lot of things like doing really, really, unbecoming things like so maybe drinking a bottle of wine and then like so one one instance I was down in my brother's house we were it was Easter we were having a lovely time we were having great crack we decided at one o'clock to uh, start doing river dance so I fell and I hit my head and I woke up the next morning at six o'clock with my sister-in-law beside me in the bed and I opened my eyes and I was like oh what are you doing here I couldn't remember going to bed. And she goes, oh my God, do you not remember? You fell. Like we were really worried about you. I slept in the bed with you in case you might like die of a brain hemorrhage in the middle of the night. So I was like, oh my God, am I going to have a brain hemorrhage? Like it was just really dramatic. So that was, so I I had two young kids at the time. I don't know how they went to bed that night. My husband brought them to bed. Like, and the realisation that that was me was probably one of the most crushing things I've ever had to experience. That's not who I wanted to be. That's not who I am. But alcohol was making me that woman. And I just, so that was, so maybe I drank twice more after that. And then the last time I, so it was, we were at a wedding in Spain and I had had a, like, I actually the worst hangover of my life, number one. And there's been a few. So I genuinely felt that the end of my life was that day. So my anxiety, the heart palpitations, everything was so strong that I sat in that bed and I just was like, my children won't have a mother I, I will be carried home from Spain because I'm about to die. And it was literally, and I really think that it was that incident, incidence where I said, right, this is not you. So that's, that's probably the thing. I, it was just, it was so intensely negative every time I, I drank. Like the cost benefit. So like when I was boozing when I was a kid, like it was fab, like it was 100% benefit, 0% cost because I didn't have hangovers. You could get up for work the next morning. Everything was fab. So at this point, it was 100% cost and like it was intense cost, like it was cost, dramatic as it sounds, I, I feel like it was costing me my soul. Like it just, it felt so intensely negative, everything about it. So it just, I handed the drink to him. And that was it. And was that the wedding day? So how did you cope for the rest of the day? I think that's one that really pops up, especially in the Irish psyche. Mm. How are you going to dance on the dance floor at an Irish wedding sober? Took a while. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely took a while. So I I actually, like I made a conscious decision of practising in the kitchen on a Saturday morning. So like I grew up... Got your moves going. Got my moves going. (laughs) And I actually, I'm really good at dancing at weddings. Like I was at a a wedding last, like we go to a lot of weddings. Uh, I was at a dance, a a wedding last um, November and me and my mother were the only two on the dance floor for the whole night. 
So I just, I've decided I actually don't care. You know, so like the only people's opinions of me that really matter is my own, my husband's and my kids. And I don't really care about anybody else. And that's the work that I've done in the last five years. All that inner kind of, you know, emotional regulation work, all that kind of coping strategies, all the letting go of the negativity and the shame. And so I've let all of that go and just done really solid work that I, I'm I'm much more robust and resilient now that I'm kind of able to, I'm able to cope and it's it's brought so much confidence like I I will never have to have Dutch courage doing anything so it's authentically me everything I do is from the fullness of who I am and who I was born to be like it's it it has been an immensely spiritual journey for me because when I gave it up I was like well who am I without it? Like a lot of my identity had been built around it. You know, a lot of my friends were like, oh, Olivia, she's great crack. And and they were all great crack. And it was all fun, fun, fun. And it all revolved around alcohol. Now, not so much when we had kids or whatever, like my life completely changed then, you know. But so I then had to build an identity that was probably closer to who I was when I was a kid. So you know that your inner knowing of who you are and maybe what you're put on earth, earth to be. Like, my soul's purpose. That's what I really went uh, hell for leather looking at. What is my soul's purpose? What am I here to do on this earth? And I think through a lot of meditations and like a lot of journaling, a lot of affirmation, a lot of that really intense inner work and especially like meditations, you know, people say, oh, you have to meditate. Like I probably meditate every day, but it's about accessing joy in my life. So joy at a sunrise, like joy at my children saying something amazing. Joy, like one of my best friends came home from Australia last night and she stayed with us. And just that joy of, and she actually doesn't drink either. So, and we were like thick as thieves back in the day with the bottles of wine and all the rest. So she has chosen not to drink as well, you know. So it's just, it's the joy in the ordinary. And that's what really happens when you remove the fog and uh, the veil that alcohol placed over your life. Okay, you're not going to have the high highs, but you won't have the low lows and you won't have that really intense, you know, like crack for an hour, but then the dread for three days. So it's like a balance. You know, I just feel way more balanced and regulated and authentic and open minded and like all these really, it just has, I have so much more health and vitality and energy and like I, I genuinely can't say a bad thing about it. And it's interesting that you mentioned emotional regulation there because yeah. I think that's where it's a it's a crutch for people and and not just a crutch because that that sounds like you're kind of limping along which many of us can be emotionally but that getting to Friday and that blowing off steam absolutely letting loose letting go letting yeah. the hair down like yeah. it, do you have to try and find other ways to do that yeah so I didn't have that on like. So I had, it was never a coping strategy for me. Like I would never reach the end end of the day and be like, mommy needs gin. Like I, mommy needs crack. That was me. I did it, like we were never really house drinkers. Like we wouldn't, with the odd bottle of wine or whatever, nothing. But mommy, what I needed it for was connection. You know, those barriers being down and everyone having like really great times. That's what I needed it for. But I do know a lot of, People who are like, right, I'm going to pour myself a wine because this is how I relax and, and how, how I wind down. Like, 
how I would wind down, like I wind down through sleep, real boring things. But like exercise has been really, really incredible for me. I kind of I started exercising at the time that um, I gave up alcohol and that just really got me out of my body and um, just a lot of physical activity that worked really well. Then a lot of like, uh, as I said, the emotional regulation work. So how do I how do I work through my anger? How do I work through my rage? You know, like a lot of normal feelings that a lot of people have, you know, like underwhelm and like we're all so busy and as mothers and we're, everybody's working full time and traffic and, you know, so how, what do I enjoy to do? So I kind of made a list of like in, in the early days of sobriety, I, I sat down and wrote a list of my core values and there's probably about 10 of them there, but I kind of revisit them every so often and have a look at those and I, think am I aligned with them so am I aligned with open-mindedness with uh, a sense of connection to my family and my friends am I aligned with um, kindness compassion um, a sense of fun and vitality like do I laugh every day so like when the alcohol left, I really had to work hard to kind of encompass a lot of other things in my life to fill the time because you have a lot of time, you know, um, drinking takes a lot of time. Like you're drinking for eight hours probably, you know, and then you're in bits for two or three days afterwards. So you have all that free time. So like get a few new hobbies, you know. Yeah, you have yeah. to fill your time. And you have to fill your time. What was the worst thing about it? You said you can't say enough good things about it and I think it's really evident from how you're speaking about yourself and and your experience but is it the other people getting to know the new you that's the tricky part? Exactly because I had built up like I said earlier a persona of you know kind of up for anything and just great crack and people just getting used to it because it, it felt it feels to everybody like you're a totally different person right like you're that you've completely changed because you're now one of them. You're one of those sober people, the teetotalers. How did this happen to her? Like, and people really, really try and force drink on you in the beginning. And like, I have absolutely no problem with anybody drinking. Like, we opened a bottle of wine in our house last night. People had it. I don't, I don't really care what other people do. I just... I, I wanted to be happy in myself and just, you know, the alcohol prevented that for a long time. But yeah, people were like my friendships, of course, were going to change. And all of ours did as we got older and we got married and we had bigger responsibilities or whatever. But trying to navigate friendships when I don't drink is, is a, li- a little bit trickier. You know, but then a lot of people are starting not to drink now too, you know. And you did fake drinking for a little while just to keep the people at bay. You have to keep explaining yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. So like I remember one night in particular, um, one of my best friends was like, drink the wine. And I was like, no, no, no. And I actually had the car outside and he was like, please drink the wine. So I just, I put it up to my mouth. And people actually don't, once you don't tell them you're not drinking, they don't, they don't care. Like nobody cares about what anybody else is doing. It's just that initial shock. And it's kind of conditioning. You know, people would be like, you have to have a drink. What's wrong with you? Are you pregnant? Are you on antibiotics? All these kind of things. Because it's just so abnormal. So like I fake drank for, oh God, a long time. Yeah, just because, you know, when I got sober and when I came home from Spain and like I didn't really access sober communities on Instagram. I'm I'm sure they were there, but they weren't really that obvious. It's really obvious now that there's loads of supports out there. But when I came home, I felt that there was nowhere for me to land. So like no safe space that I could explore this completely. Like I'm an ordinary person 
who's done an out of the ordinary thing. So there was no one who could hold my hand and go, I've been through that. Like, I've done this. I've done this. This is what you need to do. You're doing great. Keep going. And then that's why then I kind of said, right, well, if 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 it's not there, then I'm going to build it. So I, I started uh, delivering workshops during the summer and um, just to access people who felt exactly like me, who were ready, who were so, so ready and they just needed the skills and the tools to like so to have something to say when somebody asks you do you want to drink to have like it's called a sober toolbox so like you have the affirmations you have the uh, the journaling prompts you have all the latest information on alcohol and health alcohol and mood alcohol and the pandemic which was another massive thing people's um drinking really really escalated during the pandemic but um yeah so uh all those tools and they really really helped me podcasts oh my god like I would change in the bed clothes cooking the dinner always listening to a podcast and and always just being inspired and knowing and lot, there's loads of quitlet books like there's so many of them really really good ones and you know yeah, there's people, a book you recommend is it yeah you're being sober the magical joy oh, of being sober the unexpected joy of okay. being sober the so unexpected joy, joy of being, of being sober. sober so it's a, 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 a lady called Catherine Gray she's a, she was a journalist and she gave up now she I identify as this um uh, it's it's a kind of a new term it's called a gray area drinker I personally don't identify with being an alcoholic. I don't. Now, I would have used it in the beginning because I'd no other term. I just knew I couldn't drink. So I, I was kind of secretly and in my home and like with my husband, I was saying like, um, am I this? Is is this who I am? And then I heard the term grey area drinker. And I was like, right, that really fits for me. That's That really resonates with all the things that and how I drink and the passions with And what I is drink. a grey area drinker? So if you think of drinking on a, on a spectrum, so you have at one end of the spectrum, spectrum there's like somebody like my husband who can have three drinks a year or he can have like one gin and leave it at that so like alcohol doesn't there's no pull for alcohol for him so he's at one end and then the other end is somebody who's at like end stage alcohol use disorder so somebody who is like medically physically addicted and has to get off go on medication to in order to detox from alcohol so it's a lady called Jolene Park. She said that there's a grey area in the middle of those two ends of the spectrum. And in that grey area, there's a number of um, attributes that or patterns to your drinking. So it, your drinking doesn't look problematic to other people. So you can't just stop at one. Uh, you black out frequently. You have really bad shame spirals and anxiety. And it just, there's negative consequences, but not life-threatening ones. So like alcohol is problematic for you, but it doesn't look like it. So you're functioning really, really well, but it's it's the internal piece that's really, really problematic for people. So that's how I identify. And it's I know when I discovered it, I was it, it just there was a little bit of liberation that and I don't really like to use labels, but it felt that I could kind of rest under it and that, OK, I've sor- I'm sorted now. I know what I am. These are my limits and I can never drink again for me, for me. Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating. I've been hanging on your every word. And if you are sober curious, Olivia is running some workshops. There is one today, the 1st of January, kicking off at nine, which is not too far away from now. So there's another one tomorrow, the 2nd and on the 3rd. And to find out more about Olivia's work, you can go to Instagram. She's at Grey Area Drinker. 
Olivia Kenna, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Claire. It's been a joy. Coming up after the break, would you like to be part of a world record for the largest women's circle in history? There's an attempt happening in Ireland next week and I'll be joined by the organisers of Festival Manor after the break. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Alive and Kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Festival Manaw is taking place in Dunasee in Westmeath next Saturday, the 7th. It is a wellness experience with yoga, breathwork, talks, dancing, fitness and so much more. They're aiming to bring together the biggest women's circle in history on the day with all proceeds going to charity So Sad. And I'm joined in studio by two of its organisers, Lorraine Hogan and Siobhan Murray. Ladies, you are very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Where did this idea come from? Where was the first conversation? Can you remember? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it sort of comes from myself. Um, I was actually in a work and I, I began, I suppose, going back, I began my own women's circles in the start of January just to support women, supporting people with mental health. So my son was struggling with some mental health issues and I just felt like I needed some support. And I, I know there was so many women out there that need support. So I was in a work there in the summertime and I just it just came to me. I need to have a giant women's circle and just bring as many women as we can together in circle because the power of a women's circle is just something amazing and something that I've been so humbled to be part of this year. And it's been a huge support network for me. So when I thought of it, I was like, OK, I'm going to do it for charity because obviously the mental health, I really wanted to help as many people as I can. I've worked with Siobhan from So Sad and I just she just came into my into my head. And then there's another girl, Michelle, she's not here to get today, Michelle Hone. So I just know she's really, really savvy with business and stuff like that. So I reeled these three amazing, two amazing women in, me being the third. And that's how it all came about, really. And can you put into words a little bit about what goes on at a women's circle for anyone who hasn't been? So at a women's circle, we all we all sit together. Um, everybody's given an opportunity to speak, to express how they're feeling. There's no pressure. You can just say, I'm here. I just want to chat today. Or, you know, you could have something going on in your life that you might want to speak about. Or, you know, you could be celebrating something. So it's not always that you need support. It's also, you know... If you're going through a good phase in your life, you know, we, we love to celebrate other people's happy times as well as poor people when, they, when they're struggling. So it's just an opportunity to be seen, felt and heard by other women. And it's a really powerful space. It's a beautiful space. And I'm just really happy to be able to be part of it. And why women specifically? I just have a real strong connection for women. I think we should be supporting each other more than, you know, anything you know I, I've, I've five sisters so I'm one of six girls and I just have a real strong feminine energy and just the connection that women have together I think it's it's powerful um, and it's unique and we are amazing people like we make so much happen in our lives and you know we're 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 stronger than we actually know and sometimes we go through a lot of struggles and we can go through them on our own but when you actually show up with other women, it's just like, oh, yeah, I understand you. I can relate to you. You know, you're amazing and we're all amazing. And I just just have this want to just support and empower women. Yeah, I hear you. I'm with you all the way. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't even put it into words. It's just within me. <laughs> and we'll come back to the giant women's circle you're looking to bring together on the seven. But I want to bring you in, in Siobhan. Tell us a little bit about 
how you heard about Lorraine's idea. Did she call you, text you, <laughs> send you a smoke signals yeah. from the circle? She called me. We worked together before at, at um, Welfesh. That was a sort of similar, but not at any way the same scale. We're hoping for bigger and better this time, but we'd worked together and Lorraine had done a few fundraisers as well for us. Um, her, her family had a bit of struggling with uh, mental health and things like that. So she wanted to raise a bit of money um, and awareness as well. So like that, she rang me on a Friday after I was speaking with TY students of a school. She goes, I had this idea. It was in a Brettwork circle. We have to do it. I was like, oh my God, goosebumps, let's go. Let's do this. And it sort of just, it ran from there, you know, so sad Ireland have a lot of services that, you know, we believe that there is um, no one avenue for each person. Each person should really explore their own um, kind of ways of healing and their journey. So it was a no brainer to just collaborate with Lorraine again and Michelle. And we're getting a lot of people on board now who just, you know, they really, really want to help. And so this this community in itself are just so passionate about self-healing and mental health that um, I think it's really coming all together just so well. Mm. That's where it began. Yeah. And amazing awareness for the charity because I'd never mm. heard of So Sad yeah. until this event. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so So Sad, we have six offices um, in Loud, Mead, Cavan. Uh, Monaghan and Leash and from there we do a lot of um, obviously we do our counselling services but it's not just a six week service say it's a like that so that goes along with the individual for the journey um, we do offer uh, one-to-ones as in Zoom calls so we never turn anybody away although our offices are in specific locations um, we do walk and talk therapy we do workshops for the youth as well um, among lots of other things Um yeah, basically we support the communities that we have along with free phone numbers and a messaging service as well on our website. So we're, we're there to support and listen in any way or channel, essentially, uh, nationwide. And I think that's amazing. And I think that's how the whole health message should go, that everybody's different, everybody's individual and their needs are going to be different and their healing is going to be different. So that's amazing to hear that going on in the mental yeah, health what works for space. One might not work for another and you know it's not that you just that that's it that that's the end there's so many different avenues down there and especially with Festival Manaw there is going to be such a wide variety and genres of different types of healing um, and perspectives on on healing and mindsets and mm -hmm. growth that you, you know somebody has will resonate with something on mm -hmm. this day completely as well as putting a lot of uh, their time and energy and money into so sad services as well um, so it's going to be amazing Because <laughs> the ticket sales are going to so sad and tell us about the day then Lorraine So um, on the day so we've an action packed day really for any woman that's going to um, attend but what we're actually really looking for is bringing three generations of women together so like my mother my daughter is coming with me and I'm going to be there so I just think to be able to address and to be able to have three generations of women and friends and family all coming together to be in circle, but to also experience this wellness event, it's going to be incredible. So on the day, we have a range of everything from like wellness um, 
modalities to like Irish cultural stuff. So we have yoga, breath work, meditation, we have music, we've shamanic drumming, we've poetry, we've a twerk um, class, we have um, <laughs> that ancient we have, custom. We have our own tattoo coming out with a festival Manaw tattoo. We have a t- tattoo artist doing poke tattoos on the day. We have Reiki healing, we have shadow work, shadow work yeah, sound bath, amazing influencers, so many amazing influencers coming on board to get to be part of this and huge shout out to them you know giving up their time to be part of this his, historical event really to have that amount of people in the heart of Ireland you know giving back to a charity and Yeah tell us about the location and why you chose there So it's the heart of Ireland so when when it came to me it was like right it's just something about the heart really and you know we all lead from the heart and it, we were supposed to have it in the Hill of Ishnacht and stuff happened there that we couldn't so we're now we're having it in um, Duna Sea which is an amazing it's actually a sister venue to Ishnacht so it's still the heart of Ireland and it's it's actually really beautiful venue because it has some indoor areas as well as outdoor so there's some beautiful indoor areas with open fires that we can have our ceremonies cacao ceremonies sound baths yoga classes so I actually think Everything happens for a reason and, you know, it's, trust it's in the universe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that it's it's the heart of Ireland and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So Dunasee, it's in, in the Midlands in Ireland and it's a heritage park. So it has um, a lot of history there. It has a monument of Lou, it has a dolmen, a lot of stone um, features and stuff like that. It actually means a fairy ring. So it has really old fairy rings and fairy forts as well. So there's so much history yeah. in the land itself. So that was quite important for us to bring it back to the land and the ancestral work that we're doing. So not only are we healing ourselves, we're giving back to charity, but we're healing the land as well. So I feel that that was a huge part of the event. We're really coming back to a lot of this, aren't we? And this Celtic calendar mm. and, and going back to a lot of the the wisdom of, of time mm. gone by. Mm. It's a culture that we forgot, much like Nulag Nabal. Nulag Manah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the date. The tradition yeah. that we're trying to reignite again because mm. I don't know myself, any girl who goes, right, it's the 6th of January, yeah. let's go and celebrate each other. Yeah. And now, you know, let's try and bring that tradition mm. back, reignite it, re-embody it and celebrate the women of Ireland. Of every single woman of Ireland deserves it. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a it's definitely an important tradition to bring back, and it's so linked with the Irish culture mm. as well. Yeah, this coming together. It's the coming same together, as Halloween know. and the Iha Hauna and all of that. There's a big resurgence in that. Mm. I noticed around Halloween, going back to the old customs, mm. the fires, the that coming one. together, yeah. and now this is something mm. along that similar vein and tapping into the Celtic calendar and, and following the seasons with our actions mm. and there it, 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 we're really starting to come back to it and it's huge in Ireland. I think I think since COVID we all like sort of went back to our roots a lot of us um, and it just like we have so many amazing things that we've forgotten about or you know we've just yeah life you got know, busy life got busy we forgot about our traditions like Nulag Manah I remember as a child growing up we'd, we'd mentioned the day but you wouldn't celebrate no it was take down the Christmas tree day there was yeah. no like let's <laughs> light fires let's and celebrate women the women of Ireland <laughs> to come together in yeah. circle yeah. now that's obviously on a Friday this year so that's why you're having the festival on a Saturday on a to Saturday, get yeah. everybody nice and free and you're trying to beat a, a world record. A world Guinness record, yeah. For the largest so, women's circle. circle. So what is the current So the current record, record actually hasn't been done. 
So, oh. yeah, so we will. So we've got this in the so bag. We've got this. Got this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, regardless, we have got this. So, but Do you have to bring somebody with you from the Guinness Book of World so Records? Because we've changed venue, like we changed venue, so we have to reapply. We, we're not going to have an adjudicator there this year, but next year we're definitely going to have an adjudicator there. So, um, but we are still entering into the Guinness World Records. So regardless of what it is, we're, we're going to be there. Yeah. And you'll have next the ticket year, sales documented. We have the ticket sales. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So next year we will have an adjudicator there for the Guinness World Records. So it's going to be even bigger next year. <laughs> um, this is our first, my first festival. <laughs> yeah, our first major event. Scale, yeah. yeah. Huge. Um, so you have to begin somewhere. And I, th- I think uh, the whole concept and the essence of the day of bringing women together for the biggest circle in Ireland, if not hopefully the world. And um, just to reignite Nulla and the power of Irish women and for the amazing charity So Sad. So... And then everybody to have an amazing experience on the day. So that's going to be really important. Yeah. And I think there's going to be people that this will really speak to that will say, oh, yes, I'd love to do that. And then there'll be others who mm. would be apprehensive. What would you say to them who are like, oh, I kind of fancy that, but I don't know. Is it a bit weird? Will I go on my own? What will it look like? A lot of people have reached out to me yeah, to say, will they go on their own? I'd say definitely come on your own because it's just going to be a gang of women. And, you know, we're all going to be chatting to each other. There's going to be lots of food venues and, and so much stuff that you can get involved in. And, you know, circles and circles are all about talking and connection. And the whole thing is connection and unity. So 100% come on your own, bring your kids, kids under 12 go free, bring your mother, bring your sister, bring anyone, any woman in your life that you feel would benefit from it. And it's the price of the ticket is only 40 euro. You're getting a lot for your money for 40 euro for a full day. Um, again, we want to try and encourage people to carpool and travel together and, you know, reduce the carbon footprint. But I'd say just have a look at, follow the page on um, Instagram, Festival Manaw and... Um, check it out there's, there's, there'll definitely be something of interest for yeah, somebody come on your own but leave it a friend yeah exactly or many yeah. or in exactly. you'll find a circle local to you I'm sure yeah this. you know I had people calling me last night there was a group in Finglas that wanted to go there's another one in Cavan that wants mm. to go you know this is a nationwide event and we're inviting everyone like we had support yeah. from Belfast yeah you know we've got great support all across the country so mm. You know, make a make a weekend of it. Yeah. <laughs> and look, a couple of weeks back, I did a, a hike with some listeners and, you know, 40 people came along, loads on their own. Everyone chatted, mingled. You didn't have to share your whole life story. Mm-hmm. But the power of human connection is really where it's at. And mm-hmm. when you add a bit of female in there, I will be there on the day soaking it all up. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, and I love how you're Delighted. thinking big. Yeah. So thank you so much Aww, for tickets. You. People can go to Eventbrite. It's Festival Mana MNA. Um, and Lorraine Hogan, Siobhan Murray from So Sad, thank you so much for coming on. Thank, thank you. you. So and a big shout out for Michelle Hone, who's not here. Um, unfortunately, she's unwell today, but she's our other trio in the, the in the dream team, as we call it. Brilliant. Well, Festival Mana is on the 7th of December and tickets are available on Eventbrite now. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva-Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 with Benelin on News Talk.